Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore of the Warning podcast. This is review number 719 with a review of Tar. I'm Christopher Shazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore of the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. Um, this week, we're here to talk about Tar, which is a story about a fictional composer slash conductor. Stephen, you and I grew up uh, in and around music. It's been a big part of our lives. Um, have you had any experience with actually doing conducting or anything? Or have you ever really kind of thought about the amount of work that goes into conducting at all? I, I've never had any personal experience conducting. I've thought about it only because a friend of mine is a conductor in New York, and I've wanted to understand a bit of what he does. And despite the fact that we've had multiple conversations about it, I still do not fully grasp. I, I feel like I'm still at the level of the um, the straw man questions that kind of open up the interview that's happening in this movie where it's like, what about people who think you're just a metronome? <laughs> like, I, I understand <laughs> composing, and I understand the idea of being the kind of, I don't know, the CEO or the product manager of the orchestra, <laughs> of like, I'm going to make sure all of this comes together and sounds right in the end. Yeah. But the literal meaning of conductor, when I think of what they are doing in the moment as they conduct, I, I still don't understand that. And I'm not sure how much of it is wrapped up in the preparation that is training everyone. Like, is the conductor the director of the orchestra? Because I think that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, in, you know, I did a lot of band in high school and uh, stuff like that. And there was one time where... uh, I don't. The teacher was out for some reason, and they made me like take over for for one class session. And mm-hmm. I was definitely just emulating what I saw, like doing the sections that we usually go through every single day, and kind of just going for it. But I was just play acting in that role. Like I had no concept for what I was actually doing. And I think that it is, you know, this film. You know, it's not really holding your hand along the the job of what a conductor does. But it was interesting to kind of look at it and be like, yeah, I had. I don't really think about a person's interpretation of something, right? Like in my head, if I go see a symphony or something like that, I'm going because I want to, I want to hear that symphony. I'm not thinking like to me in my head, if I've, if I see that symphony three times conducted by three different people in my head, I'm seeing the same thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm watching the same show three times in a row, but like, you know, obviously the characters in this film would want to smack me around and be like, are you kidding me? Those are completely different shows, completely different. And like the people who are really into it would be like, oh my God, this person is conducting. I have to see their interpretation of Mahler's whatever. Um, exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll do you one better in terms of how much of an idiot I am when it comes to classical music. I, <laughs> rarely think about the fact that when I say I have, quote, like, heard this Beethoven, you know, suite or whatever, I've only heard one very particular interpretation. It isn't like there was like a microphone back when Beethoven was around (laughs) and I'm listening to the original. And I, I very rarely even credit in my mind how much unique sound comes from who is performing, let alone who is interpreting all of it. Um, I, I just kind of take it for granted of like, oh, that is the canonical, you know, Pachelbel's canon, or that is the canonical X, Y, Z. And it is, yeah. a, it is very dumb of me. Probably most of them are from <laughs> movie soundtracks. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. I think about it. I mean, it does go back to like, you know, we have reviewed on the podcast, uh, musicals 
that are not the original cast of the original Broadway version of whatever it mm-hmm. is that was turned into a film. And like we've talked about comparing those scores and for some reason that makes 100%. It's a different cast. It's different singers, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But it, it doesn't even strike us in our mind of like, oh, but different people playing the same interest in instruments interpreted through another person's notes on what the original composer's thoughts were about the piece of music is definitely something that I you know take for granted all the time. And um was interesting to watch this film just fly over my head in a way it's in many many scenes and go like huh i don't know what any of that means but i'm now thinking about this differently (laughs) yeah well i i also wonder again anyone who truly understands classical music is probably screaming right now hearing me (laughs) openly wonder things i could google in five seconds but when's when an orchestra performs a classical piece of music I know the arrangement lists many instruments. I don't know, is it the same number of everyone each time performing? Or when a when an orchestra is interpreting a piece, is there some flexibility going in to decide, well, we have, you know, this many violins, so this is how we are going to do that work? Or, like, like I assume they don't add or remove notes like i assume it's kind of like scripture where you're not supposed to like add or remove an actual sound but i feel like there there must still be some kind of arranging that happens i assume composers did not write every possible combination of instruments that could be seated for the duration of you know mankind (laughs) when when people are performing I'm a little bit outside of my depth but i have listened to podcasts with video game composers which you know may or may not be relevant to this conversation here but they, they've definitely discussed um they've discussed moments in time when you are getting to perform a piece that was arranged one way live in an environment with a preset a uh, group and you provide different versions of the music to match what the the orchestra is that is going to be performing it so i know that can happen when the composer is still alive um and you know can can provide the music in that many arrangements but i assume that somebody does a translation in similar things but uh yeah we're definitely getting into the territory of people are going to be mad at us for talking out of our ass (laughs) for sure um i mean not that anybody listening to this right now would would be somebody that would listen to classical music at all but (laughs) well because just in 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 the beginning this movie opens with a kind of interview that feels a little ted talky or whatever about you know Lydia Tarr and what it means to be a a conductor. And she says, like, there's actually a lot of interpretation involved. For instance, when Bernstein performed Mahler's XYZ, he chose to add a longer break from eight, you know, from eight beats to 10 beats. And I'm like, that is like the most extreme thing you can think of. <laughs> but Steven, you gotta that give changes me more. everything about You gotta give piece. me more than that. <laughs> We're just not on Lydia's level. I know we're not, not on her wavelength. Yeah, but I stand her. I'm in. I'm a member of Tar Nation. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, should we get into this, Stephen? Let's do it. All right. Let's go ahead and take a listen to the trailer for Tar, and then come back and give everybody a review. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tar is many things. 
As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. So that was the trailer for Tar, set in the international world of Western classical music. The film centers around Lydia Tar, wildly considered one of the greatest living composer, conductors, and first ever female music director of a major German orchestra. Stephen Miller, what did you think of Tar? Um, I thought Tar was a pretty stunning movie. It, it it is it is the kind of movie I don't see very often, which it is. It is clearly a heady film that has a lot to say. It moves in a way that I found very gripping, like not quite like whiplash levels of adrenaline, but like starting to verge on that territory. And yet when I try to describe the synopsis, nothing sounds like it should have been particularly stressful <laughs> or <laughs> moving or anything. It, it the, there is something about this that just was a very like encompassing adult movie experience of like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to explain why I love the movie so much, except that I just found it like captivating. <laughs> um, it, it basically Kate Blanchett, I think is just amazing as inhabiting this character of Lydia Tarr. I think how you experience her probably depends on how much you knew about the movie going in. I knew that, I mean, I almost don't want to spoil it now because I don't know how much I want listeners to know about the movie going in. Um, I had heard roughly what the character arc would be, or I'd heard the character of Lydia Tard described in a way that 
tells you what her trajectory is in the movie. And I am really curious if someone did not know that going in, how it would feel. Because there are, there are a lot of scenes in this movie. Um, a perfect example is a moment where she's speaking at Juilliard early in the movie and she's giving a kind of guest lecture. And over the course of one scene, she basically shifts from, wow, this person is making so much sense. She's telling it like it is to she's still making sense. I'm a little uncomfortable, but God, I can't argue with her. She's like right about everything she's saying to, wow, what an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and she does it in a way where like you can't find the line. Like you can't tell how the one became the other. She just is this kind of like, I don't know, very forceful presence who believes everything she says. Um, yeah. And the, the whole movie, it just kind of, it bounces between being kind of experiential scenes of making music and observing her relationships and kind of identifying with what isn't being said, how she is doing with all these different people. And then this creeping dread that eventually becomes more and more obvious as the movie goes on. And, um, it's the kind of thing I don't really want to spoil in a non-spoiler section because I truly don't know how it is being marketed or how the general public, what they know about it going in. But I thought it was just a totally captivating movie about a person with a very strong ego and a strong personality and the the things that can happen to them and the kind of like the self-inflicted wounds that they can make. And yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this, I, I had that piece of information that you're trying not to <laughs> reveal last night. Cause that was the cell you gave me to, to see this mm. film. You said, Hey, this film's coming out. It's this and this. And I was like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> um, and you know, so I, I, I carried that with me into this film as well, but yeah, I, I was really wrapped up in, uh, who Lydia Tarr, the character was and like watching Kate Blanchett play this character. I think that, um, that line you talk about is, is super interesting in this context because she is, she's an asshole. Um, you know, she might be maybe even more than an asshole um depending on on what 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 you're talking about but i think that like you know this film is selling us on the person is not as important as the creation that a person can do right it's sort of like the like that that talk you're talking about um where she's given that guest lecture like she is purposely being antagonistic against somebody in right. that scene and her argument is like you can't take away from the pure creative energy of what somebody can create um just because of who that person is so it's kind of like this film is kind of getting out in front of anything that could possibly mm -hmm. go wrong with this character or make you not like her or something right like she is up front saying like hey all that matters is making the best possible music that you can and this highest form of art and interpreting is is, is the only thing i care about and, and you know she makes some you know bad decisions over the course of the film but they they seem to always be in service of the best outcome for the project that is kind of going like she sets it up in a way where that's true at least 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we're led to believe that she is making very selfish decisions, but there are many times when there are other people in the room who make the same decision, right? It's not like it's all up to her. It is, she is guiding it, but I feel like there are Mm -hmm. times when it's not purely her manipulating. It's, It's her manipulating to bring something up, which given other people's willingness to participate or not, allows for that to come forward as the best potential option, right? Like, I'm speaking right. specifically about maybe a cellist, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, so, like, obviously, there, there are other things that don't fit into that bucket. But it, it, but it is interesting to watch, like, this, this trajectory of this character who is kind of teaching us as we watch about what is involved in the creative energy, involved in, in you know, conducting and leading an or- orchestra. Um, and then we are watching it potentially unravel a little bit based on on things you know chickens coming home to roost or whatever um but yeah i i i i think that all of that stuff sort of wraps like starts to pile on towards the end but i I think for me the only part of this film that didn't work is the psychological thriller aspect of it because i think Mm -hmm. the tension is there enough on its own and trying to like before we got started i asked you if you could hear the trailer audio and I just happened to select a spot in the middle of the trailer and I just hit play. And you were like, what the hell movie was that from? And it was like, it was shocking to you that the sounds that you were hearing in that moment when I hit play were this film. And that's mm. kind of how I felt at some of those moments where like, you know, I get that the character might be unraveling a little bit, but does it need to feel like it's playing in the tropes of like ghosts and possession and like weird stuff? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I kind of for me... I didn't need that to understand the stakes that were involved. Um, but like beyond that, I, I really, really enjoyed um, uh, this film. I think, I think the very, very end, I don't, I don't know if it's worth doing a spoiler conversation about, but I've, we should do a mini one. Cause I have a few <laughs> questions. Yeah. The, the very last shot of this film, I think is, is making a statement in filmic language that I think might be counter to the thesis this character in real life might feel. And I had a hard time, uh, deal, not dealing with it, but I like it, it kind of put a sour taste in my mouth because I was like, everything about this character has taught me one thing and how this character feels in this specific moment. The, the common language of film tells me that this ending means something completely different than what I think it actually means. And I, I kind of don't know how to uh, to to totally balance that. Um, yeah, we yeah. should talk about it because I also feel like and I might be dumb, you know, I feel like the ending <laughs> of the film almost plays as like a joke and the rest of the film doesn't need to end with a joke and it doesn't even make sense that it would be fodder for a joke. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe we have similar feelings about it, but we can talk about it in spoilers. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. More non, non-spoiler comments. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I've really tied our hands behind our back by not being able to talk about what this movie is about. Um, <laughs> It, it's a shame. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of kind of micro interactions that start you to give you a sense of the character of Lydia. And a lot of them follow that that line between, oh, she's doing the right thing to get the right outcome. And mm, something isn't quite right about the way she's doing it. Yeah. Uh, one is her daughter 
is being picked on by a bully at school and she cares a lot about her daughter um like that that is made very clear it, it, it seems like her wife and daughter are maybe the only two people that she has a remotely open you know understanding and relationship with um yeah. and so she talks to the little girl that is bullying her daughter and you kind of every movie I've ever watched primes me to be like, hell yeah, this is going to be great. She's going to, you know, she's going to do the good parent thing. She's going to scare away this little kid or tell them like, hey, don't you ever pick up my daughter again. And she takes it too fucking far. <laughs> <laughs> She 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 basically like threatens to harm this kid if she touches her daughter again, yeah. and I feel like a lot. It is the Juilliard scene again. Like like it is a lot of Lydia's character is like you could imagine her self justification for why what she did and what she said makes sense, and people are just you know overreacting if they don't understand it. But when you watch it, you just feel like you. You are a person that is, you know, power hungry, that is like a little drunk or out of touch on what you are allowed to do by virtue of who you are. And yeah. I just, I, I like the way the movie kind of sprinkles that into all of her life, even tiny little things like that. Yeah. And, and I think, too, that like, you know, this is a person that is like top of their game. Like th this is this is like a literal rock star. And so <laughs> in some ways. Right. Um <laughs> yeah. And and there is a a seductive nature to that on both sides of the coin, right? Like people want to be close to her because she can do something for them. She might want people to be close to to her because they could do something for her, right? Like it's there there is for parts of this film there there's it's not quite sure whether this is like mild manipulation or heavy manipulation, right? Where it's kind of like, hey, right. this person had like, for instance, she she after her her little TED talk that she gives, she's talking in the lobby with a person, and there's clear like flirtation in that situation, right? right? But it's a person sort of like she she likes the affection this person is is throwing at her, um, and that person just wants to be close to her. There's nothing actually transactional about that sort of conversation in the lobby and they both part their ways and that seems to be done right so it's kind of like th this film is throwing out that like there are these moments where people just want to be near that star power and have access to it and kind of you know there is an attraction there maybe in both directions but like we don't necessarily know if there's anything beyond that in that moment and obviously like you know that that might change over the course of the film it might change between different people but it, it, it's it's interesting how this film tries to sort of play in that gray area and then also sort of kind of talk about what is the purpose of these interactions and what is the end result of it mm -hmm. um, for the orchestra and the performance and stuff like that. And and I, I, I liked it dipping into that um, where it's more gray. And, and you know, I, I, yeah. think, I think the most fun that this film has with those type of interpersonal interactions with people is once the Olga character comes into the picture. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of the humor in this film comes from that character. And right. It's a, and that character maybe not lining up with our expectations or the way that the film is setting up how this is going to go down. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think too, like I, I mean, maybe we can bring her up again in, in our mm -hmm. little mini spoiler segment at the end, but I, I think, 
I think that the most fun this film has is centered around her and how she plays into this. And I'm still not sure. I I feel like there's some premeditation. And I definitely made some assumptions about where this film was going based on what little pieces of backstory we get of that character. And ultimately, I don't think the film went that direction, but it definitely mm. teed some stuff up in a way that I was like, oh, yeah. is this, this, this could be super interesting. Yeah, I think it, it's compounded, too, because it, the movie likes to deal in gray areas. I, mean, I, I wouldn't say by the end of the movie we are morally gray on how we feel, but the, yeah. the path to getting there involves a lot of gray. And it's compounded by the fact that the movie is edited or i won't say edited it's not like they filmed all of it and then cut it out but that the story is told in a way that leaves a lot of you know uh, ellipses it, it like dot 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 it, it it skips over things and it it purposely keeps the kind of the central story you know the conflict at the heart of it implied a lot of the time and there are moments like you know, you talk about the flirtation at the beginning of the movie with a, you know, with a woman after she gives her talk. There are implications because there is time that we don't see. And there are characters who tried to give her a phone call. But the, the movie never shows you the thing it is implying. And yeah. so we don't know because later we do get more insight. It's, it's funny. I'm trying to talk around it, even though anyone anyone now has to know what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> But but anyway, like even as the movie shows us more of Lydia's internal calculations and the way she kind of navigates the gray or tips it slightly to advantage the outcomes that she wants, it it never really shows us her getting what she wants in the way that she wants it. And it implies that she has and probably is frequently, but we never yeah. see it. And I think that just makes it very interesting and it's true with the relationships in her life not related to this too like uh her i assume it's her wife maybe it's just her partner i don't know uh petra uh played by nina haas there is a whole history there that is i would say well established um without ever saying it in terms of here's who we are here's how we met here is what that might imply here's how our understanding is now of our relationship and that it manages to do it without ever really talking about it just by like filming that it reminds me of after sun a little bit, which is a movie we're going to talk about <laughs> soon, which is it, it fills in a lot of details without telling you just by letting you observe the dynamic that they have right now. Yeah. Um, in how did they get that way? And I, I, I think it's really effective there and really helpful for a movie where we are being asked to, I'll say sympathize with, a person who is not perfect. <laughs> um, I, mean, I don't know to what degree we're meant to empathize or see through Lydia's eyes, but we certainly, it is poking you. Like it, it is trying to make you decide where the line is. And if, if you can zoom out and see a line, why can't you find the line moment to moment? And, yeah. and I think that is just a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I would definitely say we're supposed to so, supposed to empathize with 
at least the journey the character goes on, given mm-hmm. that ending and the way that ending is presented to us as a reveal um, from a slow, <laughs> a slow pan away from from what we're looking yeah. at. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I will say this one thing that, um, you know, we, we've talked about this is very, very smart people talking about, um, you know, subject matter where they don't dumb it down for the audience. And like, it's impressive to see people who are having a conversation that could be complete gibberish, right? It might as, it might as well be, be, be people on the engine you know, in the engine room of the Enterprise talking about, you know, space gibberish, yeah. right? You know, like, it, it's it's that level of, if you if you don't know what they're talking about, it might as well be completely made up, but it's probably not made up, right? Like, this, this seems like it's probably, like, all the words they're saying. Um, and I kept thinking as I was watching the film, like, it must be, I, I, I think I brought this up in regards to another film that we've seen recently, but I can't remember what it is, but, like, in my head, when I see people perform dialogue like this, I see it as being a very, very difficult feat of acting. Because mm-hmm. it, if you like, let's say you're doing a, a tragic death scene, right? You have all the information you need. The person has a person in their arms who is dying. That I know the motivation of the character. I know where the emotion is coming from. Like I 100% understand it. When two people are talking about a piece of music and whether something is like fortissimo or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> like 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 i i, I it, it's it is not a like unless the characters are like you know really really understand that particular piece of music and they think that's the greatest thing in the planet and they've seen five different performances from five different conductors and they can tell the difference between all of those and they know exactly what the person did differently and the choices that they made and they could comb through that person's uh, the book the this i want to say script but that's not correct the music music book yeah the music book (laughs) It's like, uh, um, performance notes, the something notes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I forget what it's called. It's it's you know the the, the music script. <laughs> I think uh, it might be performance notes, at least that they that they call it. Yeah. Well, the uh, you know like unless you understand all that, the thing you are doing is is complete artifice, which I guess is just acting. So that's fine. But but like in my head, I'm like, it must be really really difficult to show the level of emotion for something that like you literally don't understand or is it doesn't make any sense to you right. when you hear it um so I, I just i kept thinking about that i was watching this film just going like i wonder if they have any concept of what they're talking about right now or if it's literally just and, and like that goes all the way down to the script level like obviously you can't write the script without like unless somebody who like wrote the script and then went to like a composer and was like oh, can you write this conversation over lunch and just talk about your favorite composer's music in that moment you know like it's hard to understand how somebody can do that this convincingly and have it mean something to them in the moment it's just when i watch i can't it's not that it takes me out i just can't stop thinking about that aspect of the performances in the film yeah it's funny to me it's a testament to the performances that i didn't think about it very much even though i (laughs) i like it also does make me admire it a lot because it isn't just the emotion they have to show it's like if you if you are Kate Blanchett in this movie, you have to give off a vibe that you know so much, you are casually tossing off opinions 
from this like deep well of other opinions you could have pulled from at any moment and you need to convince us that you know so much that you can converse this way and not even really try and I, i think it is really hard to convincingly make a conversation that to me sounds like it could be in a foreign language um be like convincing and feel natural right i'm sure there has to be some kind of lengthy study beforehand about the art and about composing in general and if nothing else just like talking to composers and getting a feel for the way that they talk about music um because yeah i i do find it really impressive yeah in my head, I don't know what any of it means, so maybe I, I, I thought about asking if my conductor friend wanted to watch the movie and be a guest on the pod, just because I, <laughs> I would be curious what a conductor would feel about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, in my head, it would be like the equivalent would be like if you were shooting a food commercial and it was supposed to be the best food you've ever tasted, but you had like those jelly beans that taste like vomit and that's what you had to mm-hmm. eat, but you had to perform it as though it's like the most decadent thing you've ever put in your mouth. <laughs> So. <laughs> or, or just being told to like act like you are engaged in a really interesting conversation and you're laughing but you're actually talking to like a blank wall right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have to conjure all that even though the content is not actually giving you anything yeah yeah cool um yeah any last non-spoilery things you'd like to talk about with this film i uh, know just that Todd Field, the director, is a bit of a, I don't know about an enigma, but he made two really well-renowned movies and then disappeared for like 15 years. Um, And I am very interested to go back and watch his earlier films now and kind of understand where he came from. But this movie definitely is good enough to make me want to go back and watch them. Maybe he was studying composition and conducting. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He's like, I got the script. I think it's good. I don't know what any of it means, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In a moment, we're going to have a little spoiler conversation. But for now, we're going to get to verdicts for this film. Stephen Miller, if you were going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a must-see. I feel like it's just a very complete, rich film that is well-acted, well-paced. I had no problem with the psychological thriller aspects of the movie i I don't think they stuck with me as much because i kind of forgot they even existed um i i think just as an engrossing movie that is it is dealing with a real somewhat modern cultural phenomenon but it's doing it in a way that embraces a lot of gray and it just kind of i I don't know I, i think it captures you in a really interesting way and i felt like the movie just flew by and i was very glad to watch it yeah, I mean, th- th- this film is definitely something that pulls you in from that opening. Um, th- I mean, maybe I've watched enough TED Talks about interesting subjects to like be instantly like, okay, I know where we are. This is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I-, I really enjoyed it. It's a must-see for me as well. You know, like I said, I did have a little bit of problems with the the feel of the psychological, uh, like the introduction of the psychological thriller kind of aspects. Um, but I think my problem might have been less with that and more the speed at which the ramp up the end happens, where it mm. goes from like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go to, oh, it went. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, not going to lie, I got real scared this movie was going to end with a UFO taking off. Um, but uh, that's something <laughs> yep, that... <laughs> definitely definitely some uh, reminiscences. 
So uh, <laughs> it's a joke for, I think, just you and me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's a joke that will uh, never be recorded digitally. You have to <laughs> you have to watch it in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's our that's the non-spoiler part of our review of Tar. Um, so we're going to say goodbye to anybody who hasn't seen this film, but y'all should go out and see it and then come back and listen to the spoiler segment. But for now, Stephen Miller, where can people find you throughout the week if they want to do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Um, uh, music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io. So hopefully you're enjoying that. And uh, that music is going to fade up and then eventually that music is going to fade out. And when it does... We're going to be in uh, that that little gap between the song that she talked about and <laughs> in yeah. the opening. I'm, I, I'm a little sad you didn't say the music was going to decrescendo and then crescendo <laughs> or, or try to pull in some some kind of music words. Yep, I just... We're I w- smart. We, you would never know by listening to us talk that we both played in bands growing up. <laughs> Steven, that, that was so... <laughs> as, many, as many years as it was that I played in band... It has been three times that long. Yeah, <laughs> since... I, I have been, I have literally been co-hosting this podcast with you longer than my entire time playing an instrument that required reading sheet music. Even <laughs> though I felt like that was a big part of my life, that that is a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> that is the much nicer way to talk about it. The time we've been podcasting together, not our ages. Um, and, and if I'm so bad at podcasting, imagine how bad I was at music. <laughs> never had one lesson. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a moment. We are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It's the after part of our review of our conversation about Tar. Um, not a review of our conversation of Tar, but a review of the film Tar for which we had a conversation. Um, so yeah, we'll get to the ending in just a moment. Let's talk about uh, the Olga character for a little bit. Um, you know, like I, 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 you know, first I made a, co- a comment about some of the decisions that Kate Blanchett's character of mm. Lydia makes in this film are in that gray area of like clearly she is attracted to this this cellist who comes out of nowhere mm. it's not quite clear if it's pure attraction versus attraction to her abilities and talent as well mm-hmm. like it's sort of like a you know like there is some sort of raw raw talent that she has that is both exciting and new um to Lydia and it's kind of like a mixture of of physical attraction talent attraction and all this kind of stuff. She obviously makes a, you know, call it bold move uh, to allow this cellist who is not actually a member of this orchestra compete for the option to be the soloist in this. Uh, at, at, at the moment, we don't even know that it's going to be a cellist forward uh, <laughs> piece that they're going to do. Um, but they're going to let her solo in this thing. And, and you know, she, she, she does this introduction 
where it's like, hey, anybody who's here right now can uh, can do this. And I know that we have a first che- a f- first cellist already, um, but we're going to make her audition as well. And it's kind of like, whoa, that's super fucked up. That cellist decides not to participate in the uh, the the thing, so she is one of the the jury who is going to select these people. They do a blind audition, and all the language of the film and of the people who are judging this blind audition clearly pick Olga, right? Like, it, it's kind of weird with the audition because it seems like they do two separate pieces of music, and one piece of the music is more emotional and just mm. like if they played identically but they chose the two different songs, I think the audience would pick the more emotional song because it sounds more beautiful. So it's like, yeah. we don't know necessarily which one sounds better, but there's one song where like the camera's panning in on people like almost crying as they listen to it and stuff like that. It's like, right. okay, well, clearly, though it was fucked up to give the option to Olga to do this, it was, seems like, it was worth it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that, that's kind of the, the maneuvering involved because there's a few steps here. First, I think we skipped one. I believe that earlier in the film when Olga is just auditioning, like doing blind auditions, after Lydia sees her, she changes her scorecard or there's something that like indicates that that happened. So even yeah. from the beginning, she is like, you know, letting her... If I can give the most generous read, letting her like fondness for this person that she sees something of herself in, right? Um, yeah. That would be maybe like her defense of it um, seep in a little bit. Then, because she got to know her better, she learned where she, you know, where she came from, what she got known for performing. And my understanding, but I am too much of an idiot when it comes to classical music to know for sure, is she not only decided to make the solo be a cello solo to give her a chance, she picked a song that she knew she would be able to do very well at. Like, she tailored this decision to her based on that YouTube video. So it's like you have someone auditioning for a song that they have maybe never played before and someone else who's like, this is the thing I've been honing for this whole time. So that is, you know, tip, tip. And then the final tip, I don't even know enough about orchestras to know if when she says, let's audition this role, let's hold auditions, she is saying, you, the actual first cellist, can compete, or no, you won't, because you have so much else to do already. Like, I, I didn't know if it was a act of protest that makes... The main cellist not audition, or if it is implied when you say you're going to audition something that it is like not, not going to the typical person. I, so I think the way I interpret it is because she she turns to her and she says, um, "This might be a little bit of uh, like uh, whatever, but like we're going to ask you to." It's it's kind of like if you like went in mm-hmm. for like a movie audition and you were playing Stephen Miller, right? <laughs> Like, right. you're like, you're like, I mean, it should just be me, but as a formality, you want me to audition to play myself, right? Like that, that's sort of the situation that I got. And I just interpreted it as her saying like, um, I'm just going to take this opportunity to bow out and say like, I'm like, it looks better for me to be one of the judges on who is going to be featured as opposed to mm-hmm. potentially not get picked. <laughs> Right. And then and then now it's like, well, are they going to challenge me for my spot after the performance? Like what's what's going on? So I, I kind of took it as like she kind of tried to save face and just become a judge. Um, 
yeah. on it. Uh, and like it seemed like the rest of her, uh, I almost called it department. That fucking it's section. The rest of her section. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how long it's been since I've taken a band class. Uh, the rest of her section, kind of in solidarity, also didn't, except for the one fucker. <laughs> who was yeah. like, this is my shot. Um, but little did he know, uh, the little child prodigy <laughs> who was going to be going right. up against him. Yeah. But I, I think the interesting thing of gray areas, and I don't think we've explicitly said it yet, but this movie is, you know, about... There has to be a better were phrased than a me too phenomenon but i feel like the whole of it of you know using her power to get implied sexual favors certainly leering and flirting and showing favoritism to people who flirt back um this movie is kind of all about that and this olga situation is a great example of the gray areas of it because again if someone asks Lydia under oath or whatever to testify why she did these things. She could probably come up with a compelling narrative where she is not doing anything wrong. It's like, hey, everyone needs a leg up. You know, God knows I did. I didn't come from greatness. I had to, you know, claw my way to get it. And I saw this this woman named Olga who just resonated with me a lot and she doesn't have all the accolades of other people here, but I wanted her to be able to prove herself. Like there's a narrative where everything that she did in this scene in a different movie is like the coach who believed in you, giving you the help you need to succeed. Yeah. You know, but this comes under this context of her past behavior, you know, Uh, the, the character that she drove to suicide and had basically blacklisted from every possible orchestra as a result. Um, The young assistant that she travels with, that clearly there is some kind of implied... You never really know with her, with Lydia in general, if the implication is flirtatiousness and liking to be around beautiful young women... Or if the implication is actual sexual favors, right? Like the movie kind of purposely never shows you that at all. Yeah. Except well, for a few implications of like her getting dressed in a hotel room and you kind of assume that this is like after meeting a person that she met earlier in the movie. But you never really know for sure, right? It, it kind of leaves it open to interpretation. Yeah, we're, we're not seeing it progress in real time during yeah. the film, it's only allusions to what's happened in the past. Um, but mm. I think one of, one of the reasons why this young woman entering the the arena of sorts, you know, for this is that she's fucking impervious to all of it, and like yeah. she like, and it, it's not just that she's immune to Lydia's charms; it's that she's almost antagonistic against it from a level of of like like background of the art mm-hmm. it, it, it would be like the yeah. equivalent if somebody went out of their way to get you a spot on a sports team and then like you were like oh i never played a day in my life i just am good at i can throw a ball real fast so i'm gonna be the pitcher <laughs> you know what I mean? like, it's, yeah it's yeah it, it's funny she's I, I feel like she's played not only as immune to her charms but oblivious to her d- d- desires <laughs> right I, like so, no she's just I, like yeah I'll, so I don't think it's oblivious. I think she mm. specifically came there because she knew she could use it to her advantage. And mm. like, I think, I think a, she, she came there 
potentially having heard rumors about who she was. She came there because she probably wouldn't have otherwise been able to get it. Like it, not that I mean, she clearly she has the talent to get there, but there's so many steps to get mm-hmm. there that she was she was like, I know her. I'm going to come. I'm going to, you know, click my shoes as I walk to the audition and back. I'm going to purposely go in the bathroom, even though I don't have to use the bathroom just to let her see me first. I am going to smile at her when it's appropriate. I'm going to do all this thing. I'm going to get a free trip to New York. I'm going to do all these things. And then I'm just going to fucking shut it down. And it doesn't matter. And I'm even going to tell her to her face that I don't care about any of the stuff she cares about. But... I'm also going to do it with a smile and be a little flirtatious, even though I'm not interested in women, just to to just to eke it out of her. Because for her, there's no there's no threat of anything. Right. She is just mm-hmm. playing into something like she is operating in the gray area herself and she's using it to her advantage right. because she knows she's not going to get caught in this situation. She is she is going to be able to get out of it just by playing oblivious and just by you know, potentially saying something that makes Kate Blanchett's character go, huh, that's a weird answer to this question. Like, like she's, she was able to just weave in and out of that so perfectly and use it to her advantage that I just kept like, it's just like slow clapping in the back of the theater going like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's so interesting. See, I, I, I mean, I got the same kind of, the, the comedy of her thwarting Lydia every time, yeah. but I didn't, ascribe like a grand plan to it i so, so much as just someone who's like hey i'm here to do one thing and that's play music and sure you're the person charged so i'm gonna i'm gonna eat with you and talk with you and i'm gonna take lessons because i want lessons and i'm gonna like travel because i love to travel but i don't care about any of this peripheral stuff that is like implied by us meeting together yeah like, like i got maybe oblivious is too strong a word but i i got more like i just don't I don't I don't have it because she's not even if she were trying to play her, she would be more charming and more everything. And she just shuts down so often, unless it's just like a cat and mouse game where she's like, look at how far I can go to not appease you and still have you fall in love with me. I I think that's what it is, because like, I mean, even Mm -hmm. like when when they get there and they're like, hey, do you want to go out and get dinner? And she's like, oh, jet lag. Sorry. And then she immediately gets stressed out and goes to, to meet some random dude. Or maybe it was a friend that totally, she... Totally, yeah. Like, In my head, though, that's more like just a, a young person with their boss or whatever. That isn't like a grand plan so much as like that. Lydia gets her ego wounded because she realizes she's just the, you know, she's like the loser boss who the person doesn't want to hang out with. But I didn't see that so much as like a master plan or anything. Yeah, I, I just it, there was a lot of things where I started to get kind of suspicious. First of all, this film opens with a weird fucking shot with no context, which I couldn't tell if it was like an Alamo pre-roll. Don't use your phone in the middle of a movie sort of thing, <laughs> or if it was the actual movie, because it's like the no, shot. No, because it does that motif a couple times, right? Where the, well, it's yeah, like, so, I assume it's Francesca who's like Snapchatting or Instagram storying to someone or something like it's, that. It's Olga so because she's using it when so so when they go to new york and she's there for the book tour she's in the back flirting with the dude and she is on her phone there's a couple times when she looks up and like she you know it's some this is how how not in touch with what the youth uses on their phone it's some texting app where you also can show the back camera while you're texting um (laughs) 
<laughs> and and like she's like she's like showing like this is happening right now this reading's happening I, I i even feel like she was like insulting her like oh she's not doing very good or something like i i don't, I don't remember exactly what it was but i was like oh that must have been her at the beginning and then like her we already established her script <laughs> for the the orchestra script uh mm-hmm. it like it goes missing and i was like is she fucking working her the whole because like we get this little background uh, uh about olga that she is like you know the one thing she does care about is like the you know she she's a member of like this like feminist group that like is is like trying to cause change and stuff like that and and i was like mm-hmm. is this whole thing like a takedown of this yeah like i was like oh my god did she steal the the fucking script thing like i, I was like waiting for all these like domino pieces to like come crashing down and, like this is like this secret plan of uh of olga's to like take her down and i was like oh okay none of that happened but that's cool <laughs> yeah Interesting. I, I guess I, I at the very beginning of the movie, Alamo was still like taking people's orders and stuff, so I didn't like fully catch the opening bit. But I assumed that it was like her assistant Francesca ha- is showing like secret contempt for her, even though she has such a smiley face and demeanor and everything to her the moment they're talking together. So I read that as being like totally chronological, you know, with the story. Yeah, I, I. I... I, at the time, I was like, I don't even know what that is. But then later on, when they're doing it at the book reading, I was like, oh, shit, was that her at the beginning of the movie, too? And that was the flight yeah. from New York to thing, right when all the shit was going down. Um, but whatever. Uh, should we get to the big the big uh, ending? Oh, yeah, sure. The, the ending that takes place in a, I think it is never named, but some Southeast Asian city that Lydia is at. Well, so there's two parts of it. There, there's first the penultimate moment i would say where she goes to get a massage and i don't know if she knows the implication of that or not um but she goes to get a massage and then it quickly becomes clear that what she's actually doing is picking among a you know lineup of women who are seated very much like people in an orchestra um and she has this like really kind of averse it, she she loses the taste. <laughs> yeah, she loses the taste. She feels sick yeah. from it. Um, and that, even on its own, I I like it in the context of the whole movie, but I don't totally know what it is trying to say. Like, if she went there not knowing that she was entering an exploitative situation at all, or if like she went there with that intention and then something about it reminding her of the orchestra being what triggered it. I, I, I yeah, couldn't quite I, tell what the movie was doing. I, I think it's the, the, the layout. Oops. I think it's the layout of the people it, for the first time. She is, it's indefensible that it's even a gray area, right? Like she yeah. is literally a person of power just making a choice and somebody has to do what she wants. And I mm-hmm. think she just, it's like when, when, when made literal, <laughs> Yeah. The entire metaphorical situation of her entire career suddenly becomes just right there and on the nose, and she just goes, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> yeah, because then and and then the the final scene is her back with an orchestra again, giving another you know kind of stirring introduction to what she's about to perform, and then the camera, you know panning over and seeing that i believe she is performing the score for a video game with a bunch of cosplayers sitting in the audience it's basically a live orchestra performance of the music to monster hunter 
and, and everyone in the audience is dressed up as a character from the game and it, it it's not it, it's not just a slow pan it, it's it is her walking out on stage and like like we know that she is basically conducting a young group of musicians but um she gets ready she's about to start perform and there's just this beat before she can start where screens descend <laughs> on the screen and then the projector comes on and you start seeing the video game and then as the music starts there's this voiceover and everything and there's just a slow pan out to people in ridiculous costumes and that language to me of this film says oh my god look how far far she has fallen this is what she's been reduced to now yeah the the penultimate penultimate scene is is her going back to her childhood home watching uh, a tape of Leonard Bernstein giving a talk about music has this magic. It's basically like a Mr. Rogers type of thing where it's like, hey, kids, music is great for everybody. And there's nothing better than just having music. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, this crazy, really, really uh, special music. It can be just music that you like. And that motion that that motion that you feel when you listen, like it's basically this thesis for this character is mm-hmm. yes, there is prestige in what she was doing before, but the thing that she actually cares about is interpreting music on a page and bringing out performances and people and directing them to p- create something that is wholly unique and special on its own. So it's kind of like that you have that little conversation that's happening that, that kind of lets her know that like, no matter what she does, as long as she's putting her full self into it, it's just as valuable as, you know, doing so-and-so's fifth whatever um yeah yeah like so i would say i mean i was there there are two things because that so so basically she should at that moment be 100 percent committed to this and finding some kind of solace in it because she's doing a thing 100 percent, and who cares about the ostensible prestige and yet the movie obviously is playing it as a maybe not obviously to me it is playing it as a joke of like look at what she's been reduced to yeah and maybe it's doing that with a wink and she still truly does have the pride and maybe it wants her to be humiliated and it's doing it that way but i would also say like early in the movie when she is at Juilliard and she's talking to the student about why he picked the music that he picked, she talks about like how much there, there is there. Like, is there really depth to this thing that you're interpreting? Cause if there isn't, why waste your time? Yeah. And like, sure. It's fine. If you like it, if you think it's doing something cool, but is it saying something pro- profound? Is it like, you know, your life is too short to waste time on anyone who isn't like one of the greats. And so by that, aspect of her personality it kind of feels like doing this is selling out this thing that she claimed to believe in before unless she thinks the original composer of the monster hunter soundtrack (laughs) or score is one of the greats i don't know um but but you know like there's something there where for her character this might indeed be a comeuppance or it might be that she is doing her bernstein and finding her joy with music but either way i just don't like that the movie ends on a smirk about her like i I don't really tonally like that that is the way it chose to conclude yeah and and i think too it's a weird dig to it like video game music um and i don't mean to Mm -hmm. be like the the video game apologist on this podcast but like she's already going from being you know the 
the Berlin whatever orchestra to a bunch of kids, essentially, <laughs> is kind yeah. of what it looks like. So it's already the step down. But but then to be like, no, no, it's cool, guys. Ha, huh, just kidding. Look at, she's doing video game music and people are in costumes. Mm-hmm. How dumb is that? Like, it just, it felt like such a weird knock that I, I was kind of like... Like, where, where where is your bar, filmmaker? Like, is it like mm. if this was the score for prestige television, would, you know, if they were doing <laughs> Game of Thrones or something, like, w- would it still be like, oh, can you believe how far she's fallen? Or yeah. would it be something different? Because like, she already has an EGOT, so she's clearly done, like, television and movies and stuff before, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, which is why I wonder if it weren't, like you say, the language of the film makes it a joke. Because yeah. otherwise I want it to not be a joke, you know? Because it could be, it's kind of like the the final evolution of the cancelled person is, you know, it's Louis C.K. performing in, like, Budapest or whatever. It's like, <laughs> I'm just gonna, like, find another thing and lay low for a while and do it, and I will still find adoring people who like what I do, and then in a couple of years I'm gonna come back and people are gonna pretend nothing ever happened. Yeah. You know, and that that is the kind of cynical version of the joke that it could be. But the way the camera reveals it definitely feels like it is playing at the fact that she's doing this at all is one big joke against her prestige. Yeah. Like, it it could be a fresh, just a fresh start for her. But yeah, the the language kind of like made me go like, whoa, that's a weird, a weird thing. But it's also like, you know, we've already talked about, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's performed with the best musicians in the world, people who can sight read better than we could ever dream of playing, right? So, yes, she's interpreting things, and she's got all of her notes, and she's making them do stuff, but those people could literally do that to a metronome, right? Like, like take the best every musician in the world, put them in a room, put on a metronome, and they will make what is the most beautiful music to most of us, right? If she can make these young folk do video game music that is as transcendent as what like you know the greatest musicians in the world can do that is actually a that that's like doing everything on hard mode right so it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of like it it could be it could take a person who has all that prestige to go and and teach high school like if if their life fell apart and they had to be like a high school music teacher you could argue that's a big step down for them if like from you know their pay and their everything that they were doing in life is is quote reduced to this right but as a challenge if they did that and they're like i am going to take <laughs> these high schoolers to a professional competition and make them play as good as everybody else did you'd be like fucking a yeah you did good <laughs> and you know being a high school music teacher one of those days you get a student who might be a child of deaf adults and maybe you can get her to go to Juilliard where she can get shat on by Lydia Tarr and then the cycle continues oh very nice very nice I feel like she actually goes to Berkeley School of Music not Juilliard I yeah, don't remember she does go to Berkeley School of Music but same difference oh, well. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah um, anything else David Nope. Good movie. All right. Good movie. Great movie. <laughs> All right. That's it for this, uh, for our spoiler segment for Tar. We're going to head off and uh, record y'all a review of Decision to Leave. So be back in a bit. Bye. Bye.